Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Ah, ha, ha. Live from the gleaming Streamline Studios. Who we kidding? We're at OutlawRadioLive.com. I'm Burl Bear. That's Mark C.G. Boyer, our producer, Magic Matt Allen. Hey, Punch, how you doing? Hey, what's going on, guys? Well, we're going to talk about two hotel robberies today. We're going to talk about the Pierre Hotel heist, which is a big screw-up as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> then we talk about uh, the Regency Hotel Heist, which I think was probably the most perfect hotel heist in history. <coughs> what do you, do I you agree. agree? I agree with you, Bill. Okay, you're familiar with the Pierre Heist, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, you want me to tell the story? You want me? I'll, 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 set the, I'll do the setup, and then you can sure. add the color commentary, all right? Absolutely. Okay, Bobby Comfort and Sammy the Arab Nalo were highly skilled jewel thieves specialized in robbing luxury Manhattan hotels. In fact, they eclipsed Sophia Loren, the famous Italian actress, for a million bucks in um, gems and stuff. And with the blessing of the Lucchese crime family, the next plot targeted the posh Pierre Hotel. Now, this is one where kings stay there and queens of all kinds, and uh, presidents and vice presidents even. They were in a tuxedo, came in a limousine. They had prosthetics on their faces, you know, false noses and that sort of stuff. Very well planned, intricate timing. Day after New Year's Eve, nobody around. They hit the place, in there for a few hours, and they come out with, well, how much money they came out with varies depending on which book you read and what articles you read. I've seen everything from $3 million to $28 million. Uh, sounds like it all was perfect. Big problem. We all turned on each other like a pack of vipers. I mean, talk about greed and killing each other, plotting against each other. What a mess. Am I on the right track with that one? No honor among thieves. Yes, you are. It was horrible um, what those guys did. As far as claiming the amount, um, yeah, that's that's also uh, questionable. Three million, right? Uh, and then, you know, they're claiming that uh, three million is worth uh, twenty-seven in today's money. That's I think that's how they get those numbers. This is where I read the different articles of how much money they got. It yeah. uh, depends on uh, whether you're talking about the money then or what it would be worth today. Um. I, I agree, Bill. This is this 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 heist was listed in the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah, but it doesn't belong there. No, not at all. No, in fact, not the Regency all. Hotel heist was worth far more money. Yes, and no one killed anybody. No one turned on anybody, and uh, everyone got away with it. It was a perfect heist. Perfect heist. Now, the yeah. reason I understand, from my research and from talking to you and other people, mm-hmm. the reason that the Regency Hotel heist is not as famous as the Pierre heist is for two reasons. One, nobody's tried killing everybody. No one got greedy. <laughs> Second of all, the Regency and the owners of the Regency Hotel would not cooperate with the media and give any interviews, would not talk about who was robbed or how much money, 
because they didn't want to ruin the hotel's reputation. Unlike earlier, two decades or three decades earlier, when the Pierre Hotel was hit, they talked to everybody, (laughs) (laughs) and it became famous. But you compare the two, man, it's a world of difference. Well, how do we know how much they stole if we don't know what they stole? Mm-hmm. Well, Pudge oh, knows. <laughs> can, I, can I elaborate quickly on Please, tell us everything. Okay, I can't tell you anything, but I can tell you some things. All right. Um, first of all, the people that were staying at the hotel, that's how you know how much was there. Which hotel are you talking about? I'm talking about the Regency. All right. 1991 Regency. Remember, the Regency was also done in the 70s. Like during the time they did the Pierre Hotel. Yeah. The Pierre Hotel was done before I was born, 1972, January. Yeah. So that crew has been operating and doing hotels. They're known for this. You know, the uh, Charlie Comfort and Sammy Marlowe and these guys that uh, wound up killing each other. uh, over drug money and uh, they, they just messed everything up uh, in the end of the day they did three uh, major hotel heists in Manhattan uh, semi-successfully I can say semi-successfully um, because not everybody got away um, two of the guys I think they did like four years right and they came home and uh, but everybody had a lot of bad luck. Whoever was associated with taking uh, the Pierre. Well, yeah, the that Pierre seems that. like some of the guys that were involved in that were like hired killers and stuff like that. Bad guys, bad guys. I mean, Paul uh, and Charlie Comfort, uh, the Comfort, they were they weren't from New York City. They were from upstate New York, and uh, Sammy Marla was. Uh, an Albanian from the Bronx and he was heading the heroin business the heroin dealing you know which which a lot of them uh, during that time uh, that were involved in crime uh, that's what they did you know and a, lot, a few of them got arrested for it but um, they were known they were known for um, for, for for that type of uh, uh, you know dealing well it seems to me at first glance that Nalo, despite having done a lot of these with the Bobby Comfort for, for several years, mm-hmm. planned on screwing everybody on this to begin with. Yeah. Now, I don't know it what was. his motive was. Maybe he had a lot of gambling debts that he was going to screw everybody and use the uh, boodle to pay off his debts. Maybe that was his plan. Yeah, there, there, yes, there was a lot of, uh, there was a whole bunch of stuff that was going on, and, uh, you know, as I said, exciting times, uh, the crew, uh, some of the guys, you know, uh, were extremely professional, others were, you're right, they were not, they were no good, they were murderers, they were uh, scumbags, you know, basically, and uh, they created a lot of heat, um, you know, towards the, the people that were funding them who was the LCN, you know, the Lucchese crime family at that time. I bet they weren't too thrilled about that. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Now, do you see how, how, how different they write up the stories compared to the ones that I was involved in? Oh, yeah, big difference. It's a, it's a big difference. Okay. Now, the Regency, as I mentioned, 
they wouldn't cooperate with the news media uh, at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, of course, the, uh, the the feds did, and the uh, the police talked about the Regency, which is the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, the the stuff from there that was stolen from there is is actually, in, in my way of thinking, kind of tragic. Because uh, mm-hmm. it was beautiful pieces, show-worthy pieces, some of it maybe even historical. And, yeah. and as you could explain, you just can't steal that stuff and go around wearing it or, you know, it's mm. too easily identified. Yeah, it was definitely, um, they targeted uh, the people that were um, the visitors, you know, the the. the those that that were staying overnight, um, a lot of power people, um, power couples, anyone that was anybody in Manhattan, um, they were there for the power breakfast. And uh, yes, it was perfect timing, and it was good that no one cooperated with the media or the police. Um, this is basically why this story uh, went like went went under you know the radar basically many years you know um, so the first the first time uh, the Regency was hit it, it, it's located 61st in, in Park Avenue the first time it was hit I believe it was uh, 76 I think that was the year yeah, I don't know I'm, I don't know if I'm, I'm sure but that wasn't you because you weren't there. No, 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 no. no I would have been. Uh, uh, I would have been too young. I would have been too young to do that one. But um, yeah, it was known that the comfort, uh, Charlie Comfort, he was the one that was in charge. He was the street boss. That was uh, the heist guy. Now, so same job, same job as, as my job that I had. And I could elaborate more if you want on on the Regency. Yeah. You know. Um, Let's talk about the I, Regency. They came in and yeah. killed him all. Yeah, that's that's basically how I got my name, right? Like because of what that what was left behind, the punch. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it just makes so much sense. Uh, there's not a lot of articles. There's no write-ups on, on this. It's very hard to find. But um, from what I found, uh, that was in the New York Times. Yeah. It, it reads like a movie. Um, it says it's a very smooth operation. I would classify it as a professional job. Well, I'd say it was very uh, professional. It seemed to go like clockwork. Yeah, and and just like the way um, they gave us a lot of uh, props, I guess they uh, they kind of liked us the way they wrote about us. I mean, you know, and and that's and that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but someone objected to how the uh, newspaper wrote about you guys because I mean, you did the Regency hotel job along with uh, your buddies, and uh, no one shot anybody. You guys didn't kill each other in fights over money or anything like oh, that? Oh, no, no. It was in and out. It was, first of all, the person that was in charge of this uh, this heist, this mastermind, it's a piece of art. It's Montenegro. That, uh, his name is Alex Vuchkovic. And uh, God rest his soul, he's no longer with us, but he was that person that, uh, that he'd elaborate enough to uh, replicate something from the 70s because he remembers how prevalent it was in his life 
you know, he knew Sammy Nalo. They were friends. They were they were associates, you know. Uh, and uh, Sammy got killed. Yeah. You know, uh, am I right? Sammy's the one that got murdered, right? Yeah, Sammy's the one. So these guys used to hang out in this restaurant called the Dubrovnik, also on Park Avenue. And uh, that's when they had, you know, the country of Yugoslavia and there were all these guys, you know. But, uh, yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, major criminals came from, from Yugoslavia uh, when Yugoslavia was, was a country. And uh, all these guys are from all over, you know, from Bosnia, from Montenegro from Croatia, Macedonia, you know, Slovenia. So it's, it's a lot of, uh, you know, people from these parts in this region, and they all got along, and uh, they also worked with Italians uh, and the Zips. I don't know if people know this, but uh, a lot of people that come here and English is not their first language, they tend to, um, you know, gravitate around uh, Europeans, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, European coffee shops and stuff like that. You see that all over the place, even in L.A. Right. You know, so there you go. And that's how, but uh, Montenegro, he set this job up. Uh, I was called on it specifically just to open the, the safe deposit boxes. It was very easy. Uh, I used my tool, you know, the, the punch, and um, I had my hammers. I had a, a rubber hammer not to make noise because people were sleeping, so we couldn't bang, you know, as loud as we, as we wanted to. But then, uh, I, I started using the metal one because uh, the gig was blown. Like everybody knew, it was a robbery, and, and we really didn't. You know, like we were pressed for time. We were in and out within, a, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half. You know, uh, it was very smooth. Nobody knew what was going on except a few guests that were coming in or going out or that were complaining or that wanted something or, you know. But uh, we had one guy on the on the, in the reception that handled all the phone calls, that handled anything. Uh, we had one guy at the door that handled all the deliveries. And uh, remember, we had to be out of there before 5 o'clock, before 4.30, uh-huh. because they would start doing this power breakfast. And, well, Mark has and, a question yeah. for you, Punch. Hey, yeah. Punch, this is Mark. Always a pleasure to talk hey, to you. Hey, Mark, how are you? I'm great. <clears throat> uh, two questions. One... Um, there had to be prior knowledge of who was going to be there and what a value was going to be there to make the effort worthwhile. That sounds like there's someone on the inside that may have helped. You are a genius. And did the hotel tell you which boxes belong to your targets? Yes. Okay. Each and every one of them. <laughs> That's right. There's a list of like 30, 30 to 36, 7 pieces, like, you know, maybe more. Uh, but yeah, 40, let's say. Uh, there's only like 30 some opens, right? Uh, close to 40. But the, the ones that were handed down to me were specific numbers, and those are the boxes. The first five boxes that I cracked open were the uh, jackpot. Because, I mean, I couldn't believe what, what I had in my hands. I couldn't believe the amount of uh, jewelry and diamonds and rubies and sapphires and platinum and, like, this amazing, like, I could not, I could not believe it. Uh, I was opening, inside the safe deposit box, there was red boxes, there was Tiffany boxes, there was all kinds of boxes of Cartier and Bulgari. And, and when you open one of those, you would see a necklace with, you know, 
Jesus, I can't explain how many carrots, but it's in the hundreds, you know, and, uh, it, it, you know, it looked like uh, a Wilma Flintstone, you know, with the rocks like that big. So, I mean, yeah, very, very, very um, special clients that would come to, this is not a regular hotel. This is for royals. This is for people that, I mean, they want the red carpet for these people. These people are, are involved in politics and in uh, arts. And uh, I mean, I, I, if, you, if people do the homework, obviously it's going to be in the book. Um, uh, this hotel catered to the upper echelon of society. And therefore, um, they took a loss. They took a loss uh, for a reason, and that is another story. Uh, Mark, to answer your question, I didn't want to beat around the bush. Yes, there was an inside person that was in charge of, uh, uh, um, what are you called, uh, maid service? Yeah. That's Tessa. Yeah, maid service. There was, a, there was a lady that was involved with Montenegro. Uh, and uh, she was uh, one of the main, like, she, she, she ran, like, the whole, she wasn't a maid, but she ran the maid service. Okay. Is it housekeeping? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, she gets very uh, intimate with the guests, with what they want and who's there, and, 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 and so, and I'm like, this is why uh, Montenegro uh, decided to pull the job off uh, at that time, you know, during a special event. Now, remember, all the boxes were filled almost. I mean, we didn't, we didn't get a chance to open all of them, you know. I mean, but um, most of the boxes were filled with, with cash, with money, with diamonds, with, uh, I mean, amazing, amazing things that, that, were, that, were, that were found. In, uh, and uh, as I said, it's, it's also sad. Yeah. As Bo mentioned before, because some of the pieces had historic, uh, you know, value. Well, okay, now, especially the European, uh, the people that came from Europe and, and, and stuff like that. There's a lot of guests there that were there for, I don't know, I think they were there for a jewelry convention. Like, <laughs> that's what it seems. some big deal because the stuff that, yeah. that you guys knew was going to be there. Yeah, you knew what? Yeah, listen, listen, I, I don't know how to tell you, but like, this was the biggest heist I ever did in my life. Like, I, I don't know how much value. 150 million years? I mean, like, is that too much? Is that too little? I can't put a price on it. When things are priceless, when you have diamonds uh, that, you know, and, and the tiaras and, and, and these type of, uh, like, this is not regular uh, jewelry. This is jewelry that, that uh, I, I, you know, you have to have royal titles to, to obtain, you know, basically. So, um, I have a question. How do I sound? Uh, how does he sound? I can't tell. I'm deaf. Oh, you're deaf. Um, just like everyone who calls in, you know, it crackles a bit, but he's fine. Crackles? Okay. Yeah, I was worried about that because, uh, yeah, oh, okay. I had a little uh, feedback, but I just wanted to make sure that, I, that you could hear me. Oh, yeah. You sound coming through loud and clear. Now, Dessa worked at the housekeeping. She knew everything that was going on. And she lived in, this, correct me if I'm wrong here, she lived in the same apartment building as all your buddies. <laughs> so the yes. crew that was put together uh, all knew each other already, all lived in the same building. It all worked together. We're all pals, which is one reason why you weren't killing each other. Yep, that's right. And that was, uh, yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, it was convenient. Um, 
you know, with inside information. So Mark hit it on the head when he said, you know, yes, absolutely. Who would think of uh, doing this place, this hotel? How would people know, you know, that these people are there, coming there? Am I correct? So, yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, the same way they did Kim Kardashian in, in Europe, in France, right? Same thing. If this was a little bigger operation, what we did was we just went for the safe deposit boxes. That's all. And we just moved the people around, the ones that were not supposed to be in the lobby in the middle of the night because it's 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, right? Like, right. you know, it's, it's 345 uh, in the middle of the night. Amen, yeah. yeah. And, and also, the, the cops, uh, the, they never mentioned, like, how we escaped or anything like that, but we had limousines. You know, we had limousines. So that's how we got on. No one limousines and car service, like uh, yeah, like town cars and limousines. That's what we did, and uh, that's that's what was that was that's what was there in that neighborhood. That's what's in front of the hotel. That's what you know. We use something that that doesn't uh, bring attention. Yeah, so it was very easy. You showed up in a limo. You left in a limo. Except, Excuse me. I said you well, you showed up in a limousine and you left in a limousine. Except you took about uh, at least forty-five million dollars worth of. Uh, rare and incredible jewelry with you. And you didn't go to some flaky, uh, fancy one at 33%. You took it to your papa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like, you know, that's the perk. That's the perk of, uh, even if, even if uh, papa's not involved, he still gets to buy and sell, you know, the merchandise. And as I said, nobody complained. Nobody complained. It wasn't news. It wasn't big news, which was very odd. And you're right, the Pierre received a lot of uh, media, and uh, these hotels are in the same level. You know, you have, uh, you have the plaza across from the Pierre, you have the show in Netherlands. Also, another hotel that got hit by the Comfort uh, uh, town, right? Um, and all I'm saying is that these hotels cater to the elite. And it's not, uh, you know, a regular hotel that just regular people go to. And imagine someone filling with the safe deposit box with jewelry or with cash or with, you know, priceless valuables, right? Right. Um, that's not a normal thing. Am I correct? Yeah, I guess so. I've never had mm -hmm. that much so, jewelry, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> um, I've used the, uh, lock, the uh, of safe deposit boxes at hotels in Vegas. Yes. Where I would, uh, I, you, you would bring your, your gambling money, mm -hmm. right? And you don't want to carry it around, whatever the amount is. So you stick oh. it in the hotel, and then you only carry what you need for that mm -hmm. period of time. Absolutely. This is uh, hotels, certain hotels, uh, especially the old, older hotels. Um, they all used to have, uh, I guess, safe deposit boxes. And, uh, and, and certain hotels still kept uh, and, and catered to the client. And I'm talking about, like, they mentioned Elizabeth Taylor and, and, and people like that. I mean, I could, uh, I can give you a list of some of the people. Like one guest, Jim Miller, a toilet paper manufacturer in town from Montgomery, Alabama. I said, the robbery has not changed my perception of the hotel. But added, I'm not glad I didn't have anything in the safe. You know? So he was a lucky guy that, that got away, right? right? Because he didn't have anything there. But there was people there that, uh, that absolutely had so much value 
and no one complained. Like that, that, that it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling that I don't know what the hotel would cover, or if they would cover any value. If I if I place something in a in a safe deposit box, but usually it should have a, a certain amount. Am I correct, Mark? But I'm sure that stuff was also individually insured by the owner. Ah, insured, yes. Otherwise, you wouldn't and, have hit it anyway. So Lloyd's probably took a hit. Yeah. And you know, if it's insured, then they would have to describe it. They would have to have a, some type of a. Um, they would have to have a police file attached to it. Well, I have. Um, I have my father's gold watch. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we have a detailed appraisal that I have in my fireproof safe. Okay. So if it were lost, I would have the details of what mm-hmm. it was at the time. And I'm sure these people, I mean, some of these pieces that you've described to me personally, that are some of them are mentioned in the book Stealing Manhattan, which is available now for advance order, uh, were incredible pieces. I mean, so rare and so stunning that you'd have to break them down. Because no one could have them because they'd be recognized immediately. Yeah. Okay, guys, I found something here for you. Um, it says here, uh, the robbery went understood yesterday. New York State Comptroller Edward Z. Regan emerged a little past nine and reported that Governor Joan Finney of Kansas, Bill President, Ruth W. Messenger, of Manhattan and half the Tish family had their power breakfast unruffled by the robbery. Andrew J. Stein, the city council president, arrived a little too late for the power breakfast. He said he had personal business inside, but confronted by a gaggle of reporters and cameras locked out of the hotel, desperate for someone to talk to. Uh, so there was, yeah, there was, it says, this sends a message when our top hotels are robbed. During a diatribe against crime, sounding every bit like a candidate on the stump. So there's, there were politi- there's politicians in this place. It says we have to be much tougher on criminals, basically. Uh, that was it. That's all they said. Uh, people were hiding. They were hiding something. Something was going on over here. I don't know what was happening, but we had the drop on them. And uh, who profited heavily? They did. Because you know, they were overinsured? Now, this is the whole thing. Usually, we always go for insured, you know, only for insured, some, something that's insured, obviously. Uh, the hotel must have, if, if they left anything at the, in the safe deposit box, I'm sure they, they somehow settled it with the hotel. Right. It's the prestigious hotel. These families have been going there for years. I mean, I'm sure they have their rooms, you know, uh, set. Yeah. So every year they go to these... Uh, Events and uh, yeah, these are these are pretty big people. Well, I think you gave your mom some diamonds or necklace or earrings or something from that. Uh, um, I think you're thinking about that. I think that came from uh, one of the Pink Panther heists in Europe, <laughs> or the one in Japan. I forgot, but it, it was. Uh, I did have my hands on on a few uh, big large pieces. And uh, not always complete. There's always gems missing out of it because, you know, everybody's taking their cut, right? You know, so it's like, uh, 
But it is a funny story. I did tell you that, that I had that in my safe deposit box personally. And each time I needed more money or more funding, I would take a diamond out, right? And I uh, got to the casting where nothing was left. And it was very sad. But uh, I guess that's the price you pay, right? That's the price you pay. And yeah. What I thought was very bizarre of you to do is you actually uh, stole something from your dad's safe deposit box and replaced it with fake... Oh, you're going to remind me of this one. Yeah, you got to be on this. this was well, I mean, a lot, a lot has happened since I last been a, a guest on your show. We lost, we lost Mr. Stan, you know, and I know he's in heaven right now laughing at this one that's coming up next, which is when I stole his 11-carat uh, trim-cut diamond, and he stole it. And uh, the guy brought it back like the next day or so and said, hey, Stan, you, you sold me a, a fake diamond, like, you know? And my father was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? He <laughs> you sold you a fake diamond. It's only this is one of a kind. Like, it's 11 carats. It's a trinity cut. Like, you know, it's a very, very difficult cut diamond. It's like a, you know, princess cut, I guess, like a square quadrillion. And, and uh, he sold it for a lot of money. And my father had to give the money back because I, I switched it with a Maserai. <laughs> I bet I was he wasn't too happy with you, was he? Huh? I, well, I mean, I was one of the first guys to get these uh, packages from Russia with Maserai, and they passed the machine test. So really? if you um, use the diamond tester, it comes up green. It, it beats back that it's a diamond. And and I must have made millions of dollars, uh, you know, selling Mossonite and fake diamonds on 47th Street. It was my business, you know. They knew that I stole diamonds also, but this just was like extra revenue. And it fell in my lap, and I can't believe how many people got scammed. And I'm, I'm talking about diamond dealers, you know. Well, now, being as that I have worked only tangentially in the diamond business when I was selling them, uh, at Macy's Fine Jewelry, <laughs> and we would test. You know, people would bring things in and say, is this really diamond? There was one lady who bought a, uh, a bracelet, and I took one look at it, and it what the, was supposed to be diamonds, supposedly, I guess. It looked like dirty dishwater. Mm -hmm. and it was all fake except one. One stone in the corner was real. The rest was glass. But... That thing you're talking about, the whatever you call that, uh, night. Yeah. Uh, now it does show up. You can test for it because I've done that. Yes. Today, today, today. I'm always. I'm going back 1992, yeah. 91, 1990. Uh, today they do have machines that test the night, but also you're so advanced with technology that I have these radar guns. They're like $170,000 each. And I point it at any metal, and it tells me exactly how much consistency, what's the percentage of zinc, copper, gold, what's the percentage of gold, uh, yeah. everything. It, it, it breaks it down to the science. Also, they've been selling laboratory diamonds for the past 30 uh, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Since, 19, since I started selling Mossonite, so my, uh, Lab Diamonds came out in like 94, 5, 6, like that. And uh, Lab Diamonds are actually real diamonds. 
They're real diamonds. They're as hard as a real diamond. There's no difference. They actually look better than a diamond. I recommend lab diamonds. They look, they're, they're conflict-free. Uh, that's a plus. But uh, they're a lot cheaper than authentic mined diamonds. By 10, you know, they're, they're, they're a lot cheaper, a lot cheaper. So uh, by one-tenth of the price, basically. Um, Lab Diamonds did not have any way to test. But this year, and last year I believe is the first time they introduced the machine that's finding this now, and 47th Street is burning. Really? Yes. Because that place is crawling with crooks. It's so, it's so bad. There's only, I bet, there's only three good jewelers. Uh, Diamond USA, which is, they're my family. Uh, and the uh, Ganji, uh, which is also my family. John DeGanji, Julie, that's my family. Alsko, that's my family. And uh, that's about it. Oh, and the tracks. Max from tracks. This guy is, uh, he's on the internet, he's on Instagram, uh, exposing the people that are using, you know, fake diamonds and lab-created diamonds, and he exposed everyone. He was, like, exposing uh, people that are in this business, and it's just disgusting. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a sad business. Uh, people are very greedy. What can I tell you? Yeah. Uh, one thing I did always appreciate about you and your dad is that, uh, of course, every job, I think you guys ever did was an inside job because people were perfectly happy to be robbed because under their insurance they got paid full retail value within 14 business days they couldn't sell that inventory in 14 business days for full retail so if you're having a cash flow problem nothing is better than being robbed absolutely I agree I mean it was like uh, Robin Hood and, uh, you know, uh, people actually cheered us. You know, the ones that knew, they really were excited that we were doing that because the, the district, the diamond district flourished. I never seen it as much uh, as, uh, as it used to be. Today, it's not even a version of what it used to be. It's not even a shadow. It's sad. I want to cry when I see the streets. And, and it's just exposed right now. It looks... Well, it looks damaged, and if I come out of retirement, I could I can close I can close Forty Seventh Street down, like you know, without a question. Well, I don't want to see you go back to prison, Pudge. <laughs> no, neither do I. Why would I want to do that? Like I have a we have a beautiful project that we've been working on for for, for a very long time, and uh, finally I, I feel that we're getting the light and. Uh, you know, and everything that we, that we deserve with uh, stealing Manhattan, dropping April 25th. Am and I correct? If, if people can advance order right now from uh, mm -hmm. Amazon or Wild Blue Press, it's going to be available in hardcover, softcover, uh, ebook, and audiobook. How about that? Yeah, that's nice. Ah, who's, uh, who's, oh, no. who's oh, delicious uh, uh, tones will we hear? Uh, I'm going to do, uh, I was just talking to him the other day. Because uh, I think they're already recording. I said, well, I want to record my own introduction that's in the book. book mm -hmm. So that, you know, at least my voice is on there. But the, we always use really good people on the audiobooks of my books uh, t 
the top to the top people. So it'll be a good audio book. Uh, I was going through. I found a typo in the. Uh, it was actually a typo. It was an error. And it said that it's instead of saying oh, two thousand. Uh, you're cooking with oil. You're fully loaded. And right after this book, you have another book dropping. Uh, Secrets of a Hollywood. Uh, Private Eye. Private Eye, oh my God, that's going to be amazing. I can't wait to get my hands on that. Which is a great book, by the way. It's got some incredible stories in there. You'll get a kick out. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've got two books dropping uh, in April. Ooh, Uh, any possibility of an infusion of funds? Boy, that's what we're looking for. A little remediation. I want people to buy these books. I want people to buy these books and read the books, and I want to get... I don't care if they read them. I just want them to buy them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't have to read them. Just buy them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Buy all you want. Huh? <laughs> it's like great yeah. book is of the 20th century. <sighs> like they have in the movies where you see a, a library. And the books aren't real. They're just fake covers that they put on, you know, on the movie set. So you can buy no, I used to read your books in prison. You read my books in prison? Yes. I bet that was a shock. <laughs> No, 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 actually, it, it made the time go by well. It read like a movie. All Most of the books that I read, they didn't have the covers, unfortunately, because I was uh, probably in the box, you know, a special housing unit, you know, uh, solitary confinement or something like that. And then, you know, they would push a cart, just like you would see in a movie, and uh, they were like, uh, well, we have a, you want, you want this Bull Bear book? And I was like, all right, sure, yeah, throw it over here. Let me get it. And then, uh, you know, I would find a lot of enjoyment reading uh, your books and I read a, a, a bunch um, I, I must have read thousands of book, books in prison uh, it, that's the luxury you get while you're incarcerated but that's the only luxury you get <laughs> that's it that's the only our thing. friend uh, Daniel Jettis uh, certainly did okay being in prison for 10 years because he read a thousand books and he wrote a book about it. Like, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah exactly. Daniel, 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 our friend, our yeah. mutual friend, Daniel Jennis. He yeah. was with me in uh, Greenhaven. Uh, I like Daniel. Daniel's a great kid. Comes from a great family. And his father, you know, is also a writer and a journalist and, and prolific. You know, they, they, he's just a real smart, smart family. Uh, I met Daniel in Greenhaven. Greenhaven was a tough joint. That was a tough camp. Um, very dangerous. People were getting killed in Greenhaven daily. Uh, yeah, very dangerous prison. That's the prison where they housed John Gotti and uh, gangsters like that uh, when they were arrested in New York, in New York State. They would go to Greenhaven. And also, uh, Jewish prisoners, they had a kosher, a hot kosher kitchen. Really? So if you're doing 25 uh, years and better, you have the luxury of having a hot kosher kitchen in Greenhaven. And there you go. So, well, you know, Pesach is coming up next week. That's right. April 5th. April 5th, first night of Passover. Yeah. Well, we're going to have a Seder at my house. Uh, so important, so important to uh, to have and reconnect with family, especially with a Seder, Seder. and, uh, you know, to retell the story of... Uh, you, you know, know what I always thought was really interesting about the Passover story, for those of you who are listening, who know mm-hmm. about this stuff, there's no mention of Moses anywhere in the story. Yeah, that's right. They don't mention him. They don't mention. He's not mentioned. He's the only one that didn't get to see the promised land. Yeah, but uh, it never mentions Moses yeah. and Aaron well, goes. It just says what the Lord did. It just didn't yeah. want Moses' name in there. It didn't want people to get, you know. Well, they, the story, the telling of the story changed over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it shifted from. Uh, it shifted yeah, yeah. from 
the military aspect, the fight, to a child-centric. That's right. It, it shifted yeah. over time as yeah. the, uh, the rabbis took the material and tried mm-hmm. to make it more relevant to the family. They did a good job. Dainu. But uh, it's. Dainu. And that is enough. And that is enough. It's kind of a sad time for me. Mm. Um, When I was a child and had to do the Firkasha, the four questions, Mm -hmm. um, we would have 80 to 85 people at the Ionic Lodge there on on La Cienega. And, uh, you know, it's now 60, 62 years later, and most of the family has passed on. And the Ionic Lodge was sold two years ago, and it's not there. Yeah, that's Hmm. the story. So now, you know, we have just whatever the remnants of the family that's left. It's the same with every family. That didn't hit me until my brother passed away last year. Yeah. And, uh... All of a sudden, going, there's nobody left. <laughs> my yeah. brother's gone, my sister's gone, my parents are gone. Yeah. I still have uh, cousins who are alive. They're uh, even older than I am. But all the aunts and uncles, all the people I grew up with, they've all gone to the great uh, kitchen of the sky. Yeah, um, my father had uh, uh, f- uh, brothers and a sister. Um, four, uh, four brothers and a sister. Yeah, they're all gone. Um, all of the wives are gone. Husbands are gone. And I only have one uh, member from the family that's left. Oh. My uh, Aunt Michelle. Hey, I got a story for you. Listen to this, bud. She'll love it. It, okay. was, it was Passover, right? Uh-huh. And my grandmother uh, hires the, uh, the little Shikson neighbor girl to come in and help her. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, you know, get the food ready and everything. Prepare for paper, yeah, absolutely. To light the candle and stuff, yeah, sure. Yeah, so she says to the girls, is helping around the kitchen, and she says, well, what is this? She says, this is his Passover, Pesach. Uh, and the girl breaks into tears, drops to her knees, grabs the hem of my grandmother's garment, and in tears begs her not to kill her. She's going, what are you talking about? Well, I was told that the Jews need the blood of a virgin to make their monsters. <laughs> oh, God. Like the blood libels. Blood libels. Like blood oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, here well, the little girl believed that thought that my family was going to kill her. Yeah, well, there is, there is the aspect of the blood offering. Mm-hmm. And that's the last plague. It's the... Uh, the Paschal Lamb. Right. Yes, you yes, you, yes, the you put the lamb shank right. over yes. your door mm-hmm. with blood. And the angel of death knows which house to, in air quotes, pass over. Passover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hence. Yeah. Hence it's called Passover. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. The, the, the latest the movie version, point. Gods and Bonds, whatever it was called, mm-hmm. uh, shows the Red Sea as being like the ocean. Of course, in reality, there is no Red Sea at all. There's no seas in, in, in that area of the world. It's the Sea of Reeds. There's a marsh. And if you look closely at the text, it talks about the chariots getting their wheels stuck in the mud. And, uh, you know, there was no giant, uh, you know, fish swimming by. (laughs) Oh, yeah, the uh, Cecil Beta Mill. Yeah. Although that is true, there is that area in the Sea of Reeds where 
the water will part. I get what the situation is, whether it's gravitational or whatever, but it does actually do that. Very specific kind of time period. Yes, that's right. It yeah. did do that. It said it said it did. Um, yeah, but you know, these are all things that are uh, that are explained in Jewish mythicism, Kabbalah, and am yeah. I correct? This is what's explained why the grass is green, and, and it's just amazing that uh, you know the story of, of uh, Passover is, is actually what Mark said. It's, it's scary. It's a scary story. It's a very scary story. And they changed it to create it to be more family-like, to the table, to give thanks, and to, uh, to be, you know, yeah, it's, amazing. it's just amazing that we have something like that. Yes, well, it's the, 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 the emphasis is to keep the attention of the children yeah. through the service. Okay. Or as, what's his name, Sebastian, uh, the comedian says, the Italians should cater the Passover service. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Because he's he's Mm. Italian. He's married to a Jewish woman. He goes to Passover service. He goes, where's the bread? Where's the sauce? (laughs) (laughs) He gets a matzah. (laughs) I I made that faux pas once uh, with a family at a kosher Italian restaurant. Yeah. And I I was scouring the menu when a cousin... And gave me an elbow. What are you looking for? And I said, I was looking for <laughs> chicken parm. And before I could finish getting it out of my mouth, I knew what an idiot I was. Yeah, no, 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 uh, no, Melchadeca in a flesh and dicka restaurant. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I love it. The other thing I, I think it. is fascinating, and you know, all despite all the years of my life, this had not really occurred to me until I read an article about it. Where it's talking about the difference between, shall we say, uh, Christian study of Scripture and Judaic study of Scripture. And that is, okay, in America, there are 150,000, over 150,000 denominations of Christianity alone, just in the United States. And each one of those, whoever runs the thing, will tell you, this is what this verse of Scripture means. And people go for it. In Judaism, if you got. Two Jews, you got three opinions. I've got, I've got a, a Torah, it's a Hebrew and an English with commentary. The commentary, I love it because it says Rabbi so and so says this verse means such and such. However, Rabbi what's his name says exactly the opposite. Which means you have to think. It's up to you to think, and decide, and personally investigate the different levels of meaning. And not just say, have someone say, this is what it means. That's right. There's, uh, you have to do your own homework, your own due diligence. Yeah. There's a, a church uh, in L.A. that's near uh, the L.A. library downtown. It's a big church. There, you know, just in front of it, there's a soup kitchen, not affiliated, uh-huh. where I would volunteer once a week when I worked downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it used to be run by this older gentleman who was uh, a polygot, Russian, uh, you know, the, the Romance languages, Russian, uh, Hebrew, Aramaic. Um, Latin. Yeah, no, um, he, he, was, he was famous for, oh, for this oh, church oh, oh, oh. there. And then he passed and his, his wife took over. And... 
I found their sermons to be fascinating because they would take the premise of the verse they were going, and then they would go back and write on these whiteboards and chalkboards what each different interpretation was from each language, and then what time frame that came from. Wow. So they would write the Russian, and they would write the Latin, and the Aramaic, and or um, what's the other Latin? Um, Greek, or Greek, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it's another language that it was written in. Yeah, and, and, they, and, they, and they would take each mm-hmm. of the translations from what's in, what's from the Hebrew version, and they compare them and talk about why they were different, what the, 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 the time frame represent, to distill down their interpretation of that, of what it's, what God is saying. That's fascinating. So it was a. It was a. Uh, they did the legwork and walked you through the legwork to make their point. So it's like studying Talmud, actually, you know. But they did the the, the legwork for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this is why the rabbis they want you to find the answer. That's you know they're always asking you why do you think why do you think this happened? What do you think? Yeah. I like that. I like think? that. That's, that, that connects with people immediately, and uh, it starts, you know, you, you think, you think of the moment, like you are going in history and thinking of what Solomon would do, or what Jacob would do, or what, you know, or why he did it, and you get to talk about it with your minion, with your crew, right, with your circle, and I love that, we used to do that every Wednesday in prison, uh, you know, being incarcerated with other people that were also suffering being incarcerated. And we would get with other Jewish people, and uh, we would celebrate Passover together. Uh, you know, accordingly, you know, the way you know the way you're supposed to do it, and and uh, we would we would have respect as a religion, and and I'm and I'm talking about all all uh, all all uh, we celebrated everything, even uh, uh, a sukkah. You know, even religions that weren't uh, extremely, extremely, like, number one importance. We, well, we even had uh, a sukkah, for example. Ah, uh, yes. Well, my Orthodox cousin and his wife uh, reserve uh, some useless space in the back of their uh, complex. Yes. Uh, in Beverly Hills adjacent. And they build a sukkah every year. Uh, and then they have it up for the week. And then they just invite everyone in their lives to pick a day, an evening, to come over uh, and join them. Of course, such a mitzvah, such a mitzvah to to to, be, yeah. to partake that, and more people need to partake, and there needs to be more Jewish love. I'm glad we're talking about this subject because you know it is it is very important. We're a very small small demographic of people in the world, very small percentage, and when there's so much hatred built up, um, it, it just you know that doesn't that doesn't uh, it doesn't go well with me, and it's, we need to always uh, speak about it and talk about it because it's. Important. It's important. Uh, have you been following what's going on in Israel? Well, Israel, meanwhile, Israel becomes fascist. <laughs> well, no, it'll just become more religious. Uh. And instead of having a secular judiciary, they'll have a religious judiciary. Hmm. That's what, that's what uh, the prime minister is trying to push. But there's been so much backlash from the populace 
And then, you know, you do have a, a large secular contingent in Israel. Yes. Yes, that's right. Um, and, you know, he'll back off for the moment, but it's it's a dangerous road when you start, when you, when you try to take a democratic society and govern it by religious beliefs. It just doesn't fit. Yeah, that's a little bit more universal. As they say, a universal God does not create a particular religion, <laughs> an exclusive religion. That's well, what's so fascinating. I'm going to throw in a little Bible quote, you know, uh, uh, where it says, Great is my name among the nations, saith the Lord. You know, how is that possible unless all people over the entire world have received guidance from a prophet or a messenger at some time in history. It's not just some little group in one little part of the world. It means everybody in Africa, Asia, you know, uh, South America, have all had messengers, have all had prophets, all saying the same thing. Be nice. <laughs> Borneo. <laughs> Borneo. I have something I want to say. I have something because we're really limited on time. Yeah. Uh, we have a few minutes left. I just wanted to say that, you know what, this experience of me, you know, uh, partaking and doing heights, and I'm not talking about just I partake and did one or two. I'm talking about I was in this like all the way and I did I must have done over 300 jobs in my lifetime um, which uh, goes to show you that I was uh, addicted to uh, doing jobs you know to heist when I say a job I mean a heist uh, I used to do bank jobs I used to do uh, smashing grabs I used to do I used to open vaults I used to do uh, Mission Impossible James Bond type of uh, heist and all I'm saying that I went through my life not being uh, religious not being you know spiritual uh, to being extremely spiritual today. And uh, Judaism is my backbone, and I study, and I just pray for everyone to be a better version of themselves, just like I pray for myself to be a better version of myself every day. Like, I just need to do that, and it's very important. And I just love everything about the good people that I have in my life, such as Bill Bear and Matt and, and, and uh, Outlaw Radio. Like, you guys are such a great support system, and I can't thank you guys enough, and I can't wait till I come out to uh, L.A. and see you guys in person and bring you gifts and, uh, and, and all that good stuff. So, well, that's a you. wonderful idea. And to make Punch even more happy, make sure you buy the book, Stealing Manhattan. Stealing Manhattan, that's Pearl right, Bear. exactly. It's going to be good. It's going to be a good. I want to. I want to see what people think about this one because we have a version. Uh, we have. Uh, we have this first version, and then I just want to see. I hope uh, it uh, grasps the people as much as. Uh, listen, we have a few people that read the book, and they are. They absolutely love it. Yeah, I they, was reading like it just last night. I got to admit, I liked it too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, hey, thanks, Punch. Exactly. Hey, Punch, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. I love you guys. You guys are the best. I mean, wow. I mean, I feel so at home with you guys. I mean, Outlaw Radio, like, really, like, it's my, uh, it's my jam, man. You know? You guys are just phenomenal. Phenomenal. Um... Yeah, your family, anytime you need me for anything, I am always available for you guys. You know that, uh, you know, uh, we're here together, and uh, I hope we stay here for, for forever, man, because, you know, you know what they say, we're never going to die, bro. We're just energy. We just, That's right. We just, right? We just okay, get mutated. You know, I'm mutating even as we speak. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon, bunch. Have a great day. Love you, man. Love you, love you, love you. Thanks. The Baha'i Faith. Good deeds, nice people. And a history of being persecuted, abused, and insulted, let's face it, not everybody appreciates the teachings of the Baha'i Faith. 
The Baha'i faith encourages racial unity and interracial harmony, so racists don't like it. The Baha'i faith upholds the equality of women, so sexists don't like it. The Baha'i faith proclaims the harmony of science and religion, so the superstitious don't like it. And because the Baha'i faith teaches that tolerance and love are the very foundations of a healthy community, extremist fanatics don't like it. So, if you're a racist, sexist, superstitious fanatic, chances are you won't like the Baha'is at all. But if you have an open mind and a kind heart, hey, call us. You sound like a Baha'i already. For more information on the Baha'i faith, simply look in the phone book under Baha'i, B-A-H-A apostrophe I. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker, Somewhere in the Los Angeles area, following program is produced with a lackadaisical attitude by Magic Matt Allen. I am the legendary Burl Bear, or as our fact-checker Mark C.G. Boyer says, the imaginary. Diamonds may be a girl's best friend, uh, but if you're Harry Winston, it's more than your best friend. It's your livelihood. And when someone robs you of over $3 million in diamonds and precious gems, you say, thank God I've got insurance. What do they do if they steal another 40? Well, it's a good deal being robbed in the uh, diamond business. So when uh, Vanity Fair figured they wanted to go right to the source, you ask the horse to get the answer you endorse, you find yourself a pink panther. So, of course, they found ours. <laughs> it's just, yeah, he's there. Punch, punch. When they went looking for a diamond thief expert, of course, they called you. It was a fantastic article. Yeah, it really uh, is. They talk, they talk, uh, you know, about me. Oh, yeah, that's what what makes it fantastic. (laughs) Fantastic. I enjoyed it. I know you did, too. Oh, yeah, everyone who's read the article is uh, impressed with the the author's research work and finding the the sources. And you provide uh, great color commentary on this... uh, this Harry Winston heist. Uh, yeah, and now look at this. Not, 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 not too long. Uh, this was. I'm holding a, a cover of a New York Post. Uh, this was Tuesday, August twenty uh, seventh. It, uh, it said a carrot and a stick up in Diamond District. Dressed to the nine millimeter. Hmm. There you go. Yeah. And uh, that's clever. You have a, a, a couple of guys that pulled off uh, another three, four million dollar heist. Broad daylight Sunday. And they pulled it off, and they got away with it, which is sensational. Uh, no, one, no one got hurt, and uh, I guess they followed all the, uh, the you know, the pre-notion, the, the the steps that we uh, always were so careful of, uh, you know, acquiring, which was nobody gets hurt, right? Yeah, I noticed in the uh, Harry Winston robbery in Paris, the one that. Uh Oh parents. no, no, no! That was a little uh, aggressive. Yeah, and, they, uh, but they did—they did only hit one guy in the head, and not that—not that hard, apparently. No, they also shook up a woman pretty hard, and uh, you know they scared her very much. And uh, they went in there, you know, when you have somebody in that position, you know, the tables are turned, and what you say goes. People comply. Yeah. You know, they pay attention to what is coming out of the person's mouth that's robbing them. And uh, people are very careful, especially if there's firearms or something exhibited, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, like, uh, what I'm saying is, you know, this is an instrument that's used, right, to to instill fear. And uh, after you instill fear, if you use more violence, 
you know, you're 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 going overboard. You're doing that because maybe people like to do things like that, you know, or I don't know what. What I never I never had that problem or situation. I never hurt anyone ever, which is, uh, and, and 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 neither has my father, Mr. Stan, right? Yeah. Well, that's the whole and, thing. The uh, gentleman thief doesn't hurt people. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but they did, you know, attach the Pink Panthers and the mannerisms and the way it was planned and the way it was executed. But what can I tell you? Like, you have a few bad apples, you know. Uh, well, you also, know, you, you mentioned in the article, and they, they stress this uh, more than most outlets, and that is that there's not really 600 people in a gang called the Pink Panthers. There's no structure. It's not a gang. There's not a boss. There's not a this. There's not a that. And a lot of these guys don't know they're working for the Pink Panthers. It's, you know, it's a, <laughs> you know, uh, independent exactly. contractors. Hey, Ralph, you want a job know. Saturday? Driving a car? You know, it's not like exactly. the boss says this. That's why they can't. Most of the people, yes, most of the people that did jobs like this, they don't even know that they were part of the Pink Panthers or a group or organized uh, anything, you know. Um, that's just how it is. But I, I just love the way, you know, reporters and, uh, you know, how how they can get very colorful, colorful you know, yeah. with uh, with the characters. And, and as I said, yes, there, there was a lot of people involved, but people come and go, many years pass, people go to prison, uh, there was a lot arrested. Many, many, many were arrested all throughout Europe, and and uh, so you know when they put these numbers up, I guess you know I could visualize it, and maybe you know it's possible. I mean, look how many heists, uh, successive, successive, successive heists you know we accomplished. You know, compared to the ones that were not successive. successive okay, now in your personal your personal career. As a, mm. as a heist master, shall we say, or diamond yeah. thief, jewel thief, whatever you want to call it. You didn't burglarize people's homes. You only did places that were heavily no. insured for like $100 no. million or more commercial enterprises. Usually, well, well, hopefully, yeah. That was, that was the target, you know. But, uh, a lot of guys with inside help. Yeah, well, sometimes the individuals, um, unfortunately, weren't insured, okay? Uh, that's not my problem. But I made it my problem, and that's why uh, we only did... Uh, continue to do high stead, you know, people, uh, you know, businesses that were insured for tremendous amounts of money to make sure that they can recuperate their business within 7 to 14 days and retail. So and that, They couldn't know, do that if they were selling their inventory. They couldn't sell all their inventory in 14 days. Yeah, you know, exactly. So, uh, you know, we were like angels from heaven, basically. Yeah, yeah. You know, Mark has a question I mean, for you. Think about it. Right on the yeah. microphone there, Mark. I had hey, a question on Hello, what Mark. was being stolen. In your career, you targeted loose items that were easily transferable. Oh, yeah. Diamonds, yeah. In, naked diamonds, yeah. as an example. Here, they're robbing the store of iconic, known pieces that could only be sold to an uh, underground purchaser who can't show it off. I, I, I'm trying to, to wrap my head around, why would you target things to steal that can be traced? That's a rhetorical question. 
Yeah, why, well, why, why rob something that's iconic? It's like you know, stealing the Mona Lisa. Who are you going to sell it to? They, they, they just stole a bowl that was made out of gold in some uh, castle in England or some, some place. They just took it right off the right off the pipes. I mean, you know, they caused a flood and everything. People, you know, uh, the curious, people will steal anything. If, if it's not bolted down, they will take it. I'm just telling you, that's how it is. Uh, Especially in a iffy economy, you know, uh, like, come on, there's thieves everywhere, you know, and uh, today I notice this more than ever because I'm not, I'm not a thief today, but I see what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, even in the, in the regular business community, you know, people steal, they, they, you know, they, they have a, they just, I don't know what it is, there's a, a fascination with stealing. Uh, there's even more fascination with somebody that steals at night with a mask on their head and they're stealing uh, semi-precious and precious stones. Yeah, there's that, that it, uh, movie with, was it Michael Douglas and uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones or somebody? Romancing the Stone? No, that's my, that's a different one. Oh, it's uh, but, romance. Sean Connery, Sean Connery. Sean Connery, yeah. We're, got the, yeah. the suction cups on the feet oh, or whatever yeah, on the side of the window. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah, yeah, her. She's hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same kind of, oh, Hollywood does phenomenal with, with all these heist uh, movies. And, you know, and, and this is why, uh, you know, I, I wanted to make my father happy and do what he did because he left a successful construction empire to be a full-time thief. Like, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Yeah. You know, well, you a guy that you was doing galleries. Yeah, you know, that had, that had, um, uh, that had clients with open checkbooks. And he left that for the excitement of stealing, and uh, it all happened in Manhattan. So you know that's why, hence you know the name "Stealing Manhattan," mm-hmm. and uh, and why we you know we attach ourselves to this name. And uh, you know I'm just very happy that the people that are part of the project, you know, they want to see this uh, fruit trade and, and, and flourish because it's it's just a, it's something that needs to be told, and uh, and I love it. The more we talk about it, the more I'm in love with it, and, and I'm, I'm in love with the people that that uh, have a fascination with the story. Well, it's a, it's a shows a compendium of incredible tales uh, that are remarkably true. I will I give people hints of of uh, what your career and your father's careers were like, uh, and the fact that your father never went to prison, never prosecuted, and actually, shall we say, got away with everything. Can't take it with him, but he got away with it. Uh, <laughs> got away with everything. Oh my! I mean, like you know, yeah. Like what he did was something that uh, any person would dream of, like wanting to do or accomplish. He got away with it, and for he, he did it for so many years. And uh, so what I find really fascinating about this punch is that there yeah. is a well-known factor in criminality <clears throat> called criminal pride, and one of the best examples is let's say someone who was doing what your dad did or someone doing bank right. robbery. That is, they plan it out in meticulous detail, account for everything, right? And it works perfectly. They do it again. They do it again. But after a while, every time they do it, there's less planning, less preparation, because they start to think that somehow it's them that's making it all work out. And not the fact. Yeah, yeah, right, and right. and so they wind up undoing themselves because they stop doing the planning, they stop doing the detail work. They just criminal pride. They think it's them. 
you know, that they're like, they're like magic. Well, listen, when I, when I went to, when I got arrested by Joe Keenan, right? Yeah. Um, when I got arrested by this uh, major case squad detective that was a specialist for art and, you know, for stolen art and for uh, guys that bust open vaults and, uh, and safes, right? Mm. Now, this guy was after me, and I bumped into him downstairs in the jewelry office that we, that we owned. Uh, you know, we, had, uh, we were on the fifth floor, on the top floor of this um, little building, right? And uh, Joe Keenan and his partner bumps right into me, mm. you know? Jesus. And he's Hi walking there. out of the building. I'm walking in. This guy arrests me. He arrested me because he was such a good cop. He was such a sensational cop. You know, this guy, he had a, a criminal mentality. And he remembered, he remembered because I had the vest on that uh, when I infiltrated home security and Wells Fargo and these companies, I had this vest uh, that, oh, by the way, yeah, I put blackface on, by the way, just like the Canadian president, you know, but I was robbing people. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, yeah, they had me. And imagine, yeah, I'm in blackface, right? And I had a hat on and, and this vest, and he remembered the vest, and he nabs me. He grabs me for this, and, and, and he got me. There you go, Major K-Squad nailed me. They got, they got the son of the creator of the Pink Panthers, you know, the underboss, uh -huh. the kid that took over everything. And when everything got sloppy, that's when I went to prison because these guys got so comfortable that I, that I took over and I started planning everything and finding the heist and executing them and finding guys to work on them and getting crews together. And I was this, like, uh, connector to um, this uh, subterranean network of criminals in New York that were part of the security team. Right. You know, that were, that were working for Home Security and Wells Fargo. And I was this, this uh, like... I don't know, breath of fresh air when it comes to crime. And this was epic uh, that I brought this connection to my father and we turned this into, well, you know what it turned into, 10 heights that were um, $100 million each. Right. So a billion dollars, basically. That's the biggest mega heist in history. Yeah, like, now, nothing has ever even been written in that capacity. Uh, but we did it. And we accomplished, and I was on eight of those. And uh, because I went to prison, I was one of the only ones that went to prison. And uh, if I opened my mouth, there would have been 300 people in prison. Yeah. And I would have destroyed so many families if I opened my mouth. You know? So, you know, there you go. I, I did it the hard way. I did all my time. And I came home. With no deals from the feds or anything like that, like the day for day, and uh, it wasn't easy, but I survived that. I survived that because uh, humans are amazing people, and uh, you know all I'm saying is this: that if 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 we had uh, a few people that were accomplishing big things, that you know the authorities they could not imagine, they couldn't fathom. You know, these heists, like, they didn't know who was doing it. Mm -hmm. They didn't know how we were doing it. They didn't know. It, it was just, it was so complicated. It was so complicated for them to figure this out. And, uh, you know, thanks to Mr. Stan, my dad, you know, this guy is, is uh, amazing, a, a genius when it comes to uh, crime and criminality. So there you go. Well, we still have one guy left, right? We still got the moth. Yeah. That's, that's part of us. 
Uh, nice and, guy. Uh, everybody else is dead, basically. They all oh, I knew I wanted to ask you a question about the moth here. Yeah. Maybe he's listening. Hi there. How you doing, Alice? Uh, <laughs> they can't <laughs> yeah. figure out. I know, I know, I know Leia Cake is listening. I know uh, not Travis, my my dude from Dallas. I know, uh, and Joe things, I know they're listening. All right, uh, now, this Harry Winston thing. You're going to, how yeah, did they come have, on, let's talk about that. They said, they said well, where, how'd they get in? Where'd the keys come from? How could they possibly get in? Well, one thing I know about the moth is he could get in anywhere. You needed yeah. keys to any place he could get them. And he had his right. own inventions for, for, for how to do it. Brilliant. We had we had a, a few inventions that he created that uh, were, you know, UL, the certification that goes behind every vault and every tumbler. Uh, this company, this UL, you know, this is yeah, uh, Underwriters Laboratory. Under, under, underwriter, yeah, Underwriter, whatever, Laboratories. Right. Underwriter Laboratories. Well, these guys, they manage and they, you know, they're the head of all this. So uh, we wanted to bring the system to open any vault door. And he had it. He had it. He, he made it. And for you to make something like that, you have to be a genius. Right. Because it's, it's not, it's a complex it's not, a, you know, these are very uh, hard components, and they're very small. They're like watch fragments, you know? And uh, you have to be so precise with when it comes to these, you know, safes and vaults, and uh, practically semi-genius. Yeah, I was, I was online with him one day with the moth, and he shows yeah. me this device he had. It looked like a toothbrush. <laughs> it looked like a little toothbrush. It could decipher any lock in the universe. Bam. And I said, I said, you get a patent on that? He says, right, I'm going to go tell him what I got. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. He, I mean, I remember him, uh, you know, teaching me these things. <laughs> when I was like seven years old. And, uh, you know, since then I had this fascination with, with the mall, you know, with Alex. And uh, he wanted to make me into a musician. And I just did not have, I did not have what it took to be a musician. I, I was a more an artist you know, to draw and paint, which is what I do today, thank God. And, uh, and uh, by the way, Burl Bear, your, your uh, sketches, they're on their way. You'll have them in two weeks, okay? Oh, all right. I'm proclaiming this right now on live air, so, <laughs> so you know. Uh, and, and what I'm saying is that everybody came from such an artistic background. You know, you have my mother, my father, Alex, uh, Montenegro. All these guys, they were designers, they were developers, they were, they were engineers. And, oh, there's also one Pink Panther left in Europe. His name is The Engineer. And uh, his health is not, is, is going south. So, uh, you know, we don't really have too much time on that. But that's, uh, you know, if you want the European stuff, which is phenomenal, which, which comes out of ours, which comes after our stuff in New York, is, uh, I mean, it's traditional Pink Panther stuff. And if anybody wants it, we're the only ones that have it. And, uh, you know, I implore people to, I mean, they can't go anywhere. You know, whatever was made previously was made with, you know, it wasn't uh, factual. The only factual evidence that they have about any of these guys or any people, because these people have faces and they have characters to them. And I was raised with these guys and I know them like my, 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 my brothers and sisters because I was real, I was my family, you see? Mm -hmm. And I was the highest, youngest ranking member in the Pink Panthers or the Yaks, or the Bypass Crew, Hole in the Wall Gang, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But we were doing it. And, uh, you know, it was just, I miss those times. I miss the old New York. Yeah, well, you know, the, I really do. The, uh, the, the mind has an amazing ability to, uh, you only remember the best parts. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? Of course. Well, well, we had a lot of best parts. That, that's, that's what made this so amazing. You know, if we're doing 300 successful heists, each one is our best part, you know, because each heist that I did was a, like a retirement job. You know, a few million dollars. And in those, you know, in the 80s and 90s, uh, we were, I mean, I, I didn't see anybody else with that capacity, you know, that was throwing around or generating those numbers. You know, before it's too bad you didn't take some of those millions and put them in a real bank. So when you got, when you got out, you still had it. I did, I did, but I spent that too. I mean, oh. you know, <laughs> uh, I did. I had it all, man. I'm telling you. Listen, I had a necklace that was, uh, I don't know, a thousand carats, and uh, the middle stone was a 23 or 32 carat middle stone that you know that I sold and chopped up, and I had for years, for years. And uh, nobody ever came for me. Statue of limitations expired and ran out. And I wasn't going to, uh, you know, help anybody close any right. of these cases because I was in them, you know. But the chances of me going back to prison, you know, on, on these old heists was like almost impossible, mm -hmm. you know, because they were so old. You know, we're talking about in the 90s, you know, basically, 94. Those were the last big, big heist that we did. Um, everything after that, they were also sensational, but statute of limitations also expired for that. That was the second wave when I came out of prison, which was unbelievable. And uh, I believe the moth, he stops uh, like in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. That's when his story stops. But mine picks up, and it carries all the way through what year, bro? 2003. 2000 what? Three. Three. Uh, 2003, 2000. Yeah, we could do like up to 2007, 8, you know, 9, ah. 8, you know? Uh, because even if I was inside, things were still happening outside, and that's because people were getting deported, and a lot of my friends, like Borco, which uh, he happened to, they said it was a suicide in Dubai prison. I don't believe it. The kid had a deal with Leonardo DiCaprio to make movies. He's the guy that, that did the Dubai heist with the cars. Mm, famous. That was epic, beyond epic. With the, he had Audis, and he went into the mall, and something like that recently happened not too long ago somewhere in America, uh, I think a few days ago, I seen some situation, but it wasn't a heist or anything like that. I think it was a crazy person. Yeah. Which reminds crazy. me to say, on live radio, mental health is, is a very important issue, and we need to talk about it. Am I correct? Yeah, because I got mental health problems. That's for all I'm in radio. Well, I think we all, <laughs> we all do. We're all affected with it. You know, I mean, everybody has a, a certain level. Of, uh, of mental health and if it affects them in a wrong day or so you know people you know uh, I've seen people cross that other line man which is uh -huh. crazy but uh, what I'm saying is we need to we need to do the right thing am I right? we need right. to do the right thing and be the people that we're supposed to be that yeah? Is, you agree? yeah I'm joking and that's phenomenal guys making movies right and doing epic things so as i said i'm living the dream and i know anyone that's attached to me is also living the dream it's not the same dream they're living their dream but we're living it together and i tell everyone that you know uh, if we if we unite together we can do phenomenal things oh that's absolutely true there's a power in unity not uniformity but unity. Like take a high school as a perfect example or a movie crew. Very similar. 
You have specialists, people who well, are... High, high school, yeah. I love when you say high school because you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's... Uh, you if, have, you have, if you have a few people, four, five, six people moving in the right direction, doing the same uh, deeds, accomplishing the same goals, you can do anything. Like, there's so much that can be done. But on a positive level, you know... Um, that's why I love I movies. Know, like, <laughs> that's why I missed old New York. Yeah, it was rugged. It was ruthless. You know, people were getting shot and robbed and stabbed and yeah. ambulances all over the place. And I mean, it was it was just it was like the wild wild west. Yeah, but, but that's not pleasant. We don't want people it. being stabbed all over the place. That's not fun no, for of them. course not. But what I'm saying is like there was a listen. Listen, there's, today there's a, there's an element of people. You know, look, a lot of people are telling on on people. There's this case going on with this rapper from Bushwick that's that's uh, already four days on, a, on you know doing testimony you know and uh, it's just sad that that uh, people are subjected to that do you understand what I'm saying yeah yeah we don't need that like you know that's all negativity and you know uh, what I'm saying is that's why I got away from crime and criminality because I didn't see any good people remember when I was in prison and I was looking for criminals and I couldn't find any yeah and I met a couple of mobsters, you know, but they needed my help more than I needed their help, you know? Right. And that's when I seen, I was like, oh, my God, like, what am I involved in? Like, you know, I need to change my life because... Yeah, you know, by the you company know, you keep, and the company you keep wasn't that good a company. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I was not cut from that cloth, you know? And I was looking for, for my flock, you know, for people that wanted to do heist, that wanted to steal... And all I found was just a bunch of drug addicts and, you know, just like sad people, man. You know, like doing sad shit. And it, pardon me. But, you know what I mean? Like, in prison. And I've been in so many prisons, right? So I just didn't find that. You know, I didn't find that. You know, I thought, oh, maybe in prison I'll find. And I, and I, yeah, I bumped heads with a couple of big guys. And there's only a handful. There's only a handful of good guys there, you know? And, uh, you know, I just wish them all the best. Well, I'll tell you, uh, one thing that I have repeatedly said to uh, career criminals, which usually means that they didn't have much of a career because they were in prison most of the time, and that is yeah. your rap sheet is not a resume of your accomplishments. It's a list of your failures. Exactly, right. And, and mine is too long to list. Too long to list. It's like uh, an embarrassment. I'm embarrassed, you know. And, and thank God I never did any ugly stuff, you know. And I always, you know, I can look in the mirror and, and, uh, and hold my head high, you know, because, but it's just very sad the way, you know, I was looking for, like, you know, a family or people, whatever, and, and thank God, thank God that I turned away from, from a life of crime, and today I'm a civilian, which is, feels amazing, you know, and I'm above water, which is, I can't explain the feeling. It's like I came out of prison again. <laughs> and how many years did I do, what? bro? How many years of prison did I do altogether? Do you remember? Uh, correctly? 16. That's right. 16. So it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. You know. You could have done six months, you fool. Why did you do 16 years? Exactly. You had six I months. Six months. Six months, and I would have been out. Six but months. no, you had to get in a big fight with some Albanians uh, or something. And I just can't believe it. Like, hey, and, and then I survived prison, which was crazy. And that's another story unto itself. And that can never define me. You know, but uh, you know, uh, it's just amazing that I that I that I made it out of there. You know, so. Uh, well, no, I don't think it's that amazing you made it out of there when you consider the fact that you you were already in great physical shape when you went in. 
You've been taught how to box since you were what, five, six years old. You knew all the martial arts. You were taught by an Olympic medalist uh, in martial arts. And so uh, some street fighting, brawling guy, and you knew how to do that too, is going to pick on you, going to pick a fight with you, he's going to lose. Because who else yeah, in there has the degree of training you I was going to talk a long time ago, but I like the way it was sounding, so I had to let you talk because yeah. it sounded really nice. I yeah. like that. You know? But in all truth, in all reality, listen, a little piece of steel that's like four inches long, sharpened in the end, you know, uh, that has a little handle, could uh, surprise somebody in their neck. And by the time the ambulance comes to sew you up, you're going to be dead. Mm-hmm. You're going to be dead. You're not going to make it. You see, that's the thing. You see, you never know who's going to get you. Uh, you never know. Listen, there was people that were 7.30. What does that mean, 7.30? What does that mean? People that are on the flight deck. 7.30 means when the crazies get their medication. Mm-hmm. So we call anybody that gets their medication at 7.30, 7.30, meaning they're nuts. Right. Because that's when they hand, hand out the, the bug out, med- you know, the, the crazy medication for the crazy people. Now, this guy is protected by laws. He could smash you in the face with a rock and cut you with a razor and, uh, and violate you in every possible way, and he's not going to get charged because he's protected by these laws that he's insane. And they are subjugated. I mean, they're put in prison because they closed down all these mental institutions. And as I said, it's a broken system. Mm-hmm. We need to advocate to fix the system uh, because it's not what they think it is. You know, it's not a bunch of criminals. It's a bunch of people that need jobs and need help, need guidance. That's it. You know, and uh, I was part of uh, reforming the system with RTA, that's Rehabilitation Through the Arts. Just I was getting into too many trouble. I was getting into too much trouble. I mean, I was the type of guy that uh, the first day I hit a compound, they dropped like two, three hundred slips on me. Mm-hmm. All right. And that was constantly. So it was very hard for me to, you know, to help people when people are against me. You know, I mean, like I'm the enemy. I'm not the enemy. I've never been anybody's enemy. I don't have enemies. And anybody that thinks I'm an enemy, they're an enemy to themselves and right, people right. around them. You know, I became unoffendable. Why? I mean, how many lives do I have to live to prove myself or to know something, to be an expert, a specialist? All right, I'm an expert at this stuff. And it's called life. Well, if you, know, you it's a proven play, fact, do you take anybody, they, anybody, Punch? There's so many phonies out there, I challenge them all. I didn't even start pulling cards because, you know, that's not, my, that's not what I do anymore. But, you know, what do you think? I don't get upset when I see phonies. I don't like phonies. You know, I don't like fraudsters. Guys that are perpetrating the fraud bothers me. You know, turns my stomach. The world you know, so that, that's all. <laughs> it, it, it's just that, you know, people with an agenda uh, are people that are very dangerous. And uh, that's why I'm an artist today, because I make and create, right? Opposed to destroy. And I only surround myself with artists. And if you're not an artist, you're not going to be in my circle. Point blank. I mean, it's that simple. You see? And, uh, and I just love people that want to move forward and that want to do good. And uh, what do you think? I don't get solicited to do heists all the time? Are you kidding me? I was going to ask you that. Do you get solicited to do heists all the time? Oh, my God, by every agency in the world, okay? So what, you get a phone call? What, do they call you on the phone and ask if you want to plan a heist? No, I get get magazine offers daily, all right? Paid magazine offers daily. I get offers to get flown in G7s and 8s all around, wherever, you know, to uh, give interviews and to, uh, or to sell my rights. I'm not interested. 
I'm not interested. I keep my circle very small. People that want to reach out to me, they know how to get to me, and that's it. It's very simple. And today, I would take simplicity over chaos any day. Oh, yeah. People, would, people they don't understand how beautiful it is to be an artist, but to have an anonymity. Like, you know, for people not to know me, do you understand? But I'm doing big things, right? Mm-hmm. But people don't know me, which is even better, which is a blessing. And that's what I love more than anything. Well, by the time around. I'm done with you, you're going to need a few aliases, pal, because you're going to be too famous. No, but we still, no, we still, listen, we're, we're, that, that, the person that we're speaking about is a movie character. That's Punch. That's a guy that used to be a criminal. They used to have shady ways, and that was from the gutter. I learned from people that were from the gutter, and, you know, I had mentors from all sources and walks of life. That's what makes the story so interesting. And uh, that's not really what I wanted to be, but I became that to appease my greatest mentor, which was Mr. Stan, my dad, my father, and he was the boss of bosses. No joke. The guy, the guy was no joke. I love him. I love him to death. I just wish he was a greater father, you know, and that's not what he was cut out to be. He, uh, he has three, two other sons. Alex Olmsted is his uh, son, and uh, Nicola... I don't know, it was even, uh, what, Stanimirovich, I guess. So he has, I have two other brothers. Uh, one of them, own a, they own an agency in uh, Brooklyn called Good Versus Evil. It's an advertising agency. Guy's an artist, just like how his mother was, and just like how my mother was. Mm-hmm. Hence, mother artist, father artist. Uh, listen, I want to take a, I just want to take some time and give a shout out to uh, my guy, my ace, uh, Sean Sullivan, Lay a Cake, New York. Oh, the hell of a guy. Uh, Peter Pitchman, Einstein, and uh, Harrison Lobel. That's Those are my guys. That's my New York guys. And everybody else that I missed, I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, it costs me a lot every time I say a name on, this, on, this, on there, right? <laughs> so, uh, listen, how, 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 have we, uh, how have we progressed forward? Um, you know, I know it's a sad house there. But we got to keep it moving, you know? And uh, I know, I, I don't know if this is appropriate for me to say, but I love and miss Howard, and I feel like he's with me, and he's guiding me. Yeah. Because I he would it. want, I just, I just missed that. I just wanted him to read the article, you know? Yeah. So It's a dangerous job being my co-host, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, well, you see, Frank's not there. You know, Frank's yeah. not there. He's uh, he's smart, but he, he will be there soon. And, yeah, uh, yeah, you have to go to Washington D.C. on a bus or yeah. under a bus, one of the two. Oh, who else? Daniel Daniel Jenis. He's speaking Yale, I believe. Yeah, right? isn't that amazing? Should Daniel I? Jenis, another uh, resident uh, member of the True Crime Club here at Hell Law Radio. Uh, the, uh, yeah, Daniel was definitely attached to me. He was with me in Greenhaven, and he knows. What was going on in Greenhaven, and, and uh, he experienced yeah. well, uh, the, the big shock of the prison. big shock of Daniel's life is he made this uh, uh, delicious uh, cream cheese. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, yeah, cheesecakes. Yeah, that yeah. Was, oh that my was God, it was fantastic. Amazing. And yeah. it was pitch dark in the room because we're watching this movie together, right, in my living room. And he brings yeah. me the cheesecake, and I start eating it. And when the lights came up, the entire cheesecake was gone. I ate the whole thing. That's the highlight of yeah, his, his so, <laughs> seeing me eat that entire cheesecake. But God, Better than Joey Reynolds? It was really good. And it yeah, was, everything, everything that you eat, 
that a prisoner or convict made is is pretty. It's it's it's, it's amazing. Uh, it's going to uh, your dance bud. I mean your 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 uh, your taste buds are going to dance around. And uh, yeah, we do have. I'm sure, some it's better than the recipes. institutional food they feed you in there. Oh yeah, you can. Yeah, I we you know everyone that experiences a, a long stint uh, behind the wall will tell you that cooking, uh, you know, you learn fast. You'll get a hot pot or a stinger, and you'll learn how to make something. The first uh, recipes are probably something to do with ramen noodles, uh-huh. and then you could you know you could alter that and then create different things by putting you know corn chips or whatever else in it and. <laughs> and uh, some type of uh, a protein base, right? But all I'm saying is convicts, you know, they're, they're, they're very creative. The, the stuff that I've seen, I can't, I mean, I wish they had a channel that <laughs> we can talk about this stuff because it's, it's just amazing the length and, I mean, the patience that's, that, that it takes to get, like, a, a string across, uh, I don't know, I can't even explain the length, like a football field, for example, a string mm-hmm. to get across a football field with just like a, a piece of paper at the end of it. And so we can attach uh, messages and we can send kites and, uh, you know, send things to people that can get to certain things because they're, for example, they're locked up, you know, like when I was in the box, uh, that's SHU, uh, solitary confinement. You're incarcerated 24 hours a day. And they let you out in the balcony for like an hour or two hours a day. That's it. You know, if you have a bunkie, you get two hours. If, you, if you're by yourself, you get one hour. And these are these new institutions that they build. Um, and they're, they're called SHU 2000 boxes, I believe. And um, actual inmates built them, you know. And a lot of uh, the factories and the factory work that was done inside, for example, my job was asbestos. Uh, I should do asbestos maintenance, so I had level four clearance, and that's what I did in Greenhaven, is to go underneath the prison and inspect the pipes and build decons and, and all that stuff. But I had the connection from the street. Those guys that were giving the test, those were my guys uh-huh. from, from, from our companies from New York. They used to come in. So, so you know, uh, That's the nice thing about having friends in high places and friends in low places. Well, you know what? There was I, I still have I still have a, a blade that I sent uh, to my uh, to my mom for safekeeping, and I put it in my Timberland boot, and it's one of these uh, shanks. Well, it was actual a K bar, without a handle that was slipped underneath uh, a cell door when uh, somebody found out that I was going to get stabbed in the yard by by a couple of bones, right? And uh, this this came from an officer. He he slid it underneath my door. Was he and framing you? No, he wasn't framing me. He was uh, giving me something to protect myself. Oh, I see. Okay. Which was, you know, and uh, and this guy was a Marine, you know, and uh, I don't know. I think he thought I was maybe in, a, in the Marine Corps or something, or whatever, because I said Semper Fi to him once or whatever, you know. And, uh, yeah, he gave me a cable. I mean, a real Marine knife, like, that was flat, that slid underneath, and I have it. Because I sent my Timberlands home, and that was in it. I put that on inside, sent the package from uh, from inside the box, and uh, and that's how I got that out. I, I used to smuggle stuff out of prison all the time. I have tapes, and uh, like prison tapes, when you have a hearing inside prison, and, and I also have a lot of the, 
the tapes that go inside the typewriters. Ah. Uh, which is which is so historical because do you know how much evidence that holds, right? The tape, you know, the, uh, the, the typewriter, ribbon, the typewriter ribbon. ribbon. Yes, yes. There you go. There you go. And that's 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 like, oh my god. Like that's something that's like, we didn't even get to that point yet. But there's so much going on, and you gotta leave that stuff to the Smithsonian Institute or something. Yeah, well, that that's why I left all the high stuff. I don't want to include, you know, the prison uh, life with the heist because it, it like damages it. You know, yeah. you understand what I mean? It tarnishes the amazing heist uh, stories. We don't want to include ugly prison stories, right? Yeah. So that's separate. And I'm glad that we kept it separate. And it's done like that for a reason. And uh, I'm just like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just happy to be here. And I'm happy that, that you guys still believe in me and and that we're still pressing forward, which is important, right? Yeah. Well, you got to keep you got to keep moving to show you're alive, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, well, you know, there's people that that are that are moving, you know, that are they're actually strengthening our ability and wanting to see the ball move forward, you know. And I'm very grateful for these people, you know, the people that are giving me an opportunity and a chance that would never do that before. Am I right or wrong? You know, being yeah, a well, you're right because a lot of times, I mean, because the atmosphere that you and your father and the moth, etc., moved in is a rarefied atmosphere. You're not a bunch of passive stuffed thugs, you know, beating people up on the corner. Uh, do you know? That's not that's not you guys. But uh, no. the majority of shall we say career in quotes criminals are just guys who don't know how to do anything else and think it's cool that they're crooked. You know, yeah. and that's what I've seen, and that's what you saw when you went to prison. There were no real criminals in prison. There was just a bunch no. of losers and victims. Unfortunate, unfortunate, because that's you know, as I said, I, I gravitate towards criminals, guys that are that want to uh, make a buck with their mind. And uh, you know, wherever I landed in any prison, I was very comfortable because I was making moves that generated other moves, and I was uh, I was a pleasure to be around. You know, because. We would get perks. We would get things that normally people wouldn't get in prison. And, uh, for example, like when I was in the feds, uh, Joe Watts, this uh, friend of Dottie's, he, he was, he was uh, spending 10 grand a day on lobsters and Chinese food and sandwiches and vodka, you know, just to, be, to feel a little normal. Mm -hmm. you, you understand? Because, you know, when you, when you go through, like, a holding area in MCC or MDC, uh, there's no... Really, the commissary, you know, is very poor, and the quality of food is very poor, but you're looking at Chinese restaurants outside your window mm -hmm. that you probably own, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, and pizzerias, because right down the block, and it's like, yeah, yo, more, you know, and they, you know, they, they call, they get me, right, to talk to the guard, and to see if the, the hack's going to take 10 Gs, you know, in his, in his account, like a Western Union or something like that, and I would facilitate that, so it wouldn't go back to... To the person that's paying for it, you know, because uh, even though I had a lot of money in cash, still, you know, uh, there was guys that had bigger money because they were involved. There's always uh, somebody who's got more money. There's already somebody always. better looking. There's always somebody smarter. There's always somebody. Always. <laughs> always. always. And this is something I tell everybody. Um, I always like to drop a jewel. You know, uh, I, I, you know that the word that bugs me. You know which word that is. It's try to try. Try caviar, try champagne. Don't try to get up, okay? Because you have to get up. You know, there's no possible way. Do, can you get up? Do you try to get up? No. 
Just do it. Yeah, Yoda says there is no try. <laughs> uses this poisonous word because it gives you an option out. You know, I tried. You know, I tried. And, like, it gives you a, 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 you know, like, it's okay to fail. No, it's not. Not in our world. If I failed, I would have, I would have visited prison way more. But the reason why I visited prison in the first place is because I was a knucklehead. And yeah. I was surrounded by other knuckleheads. And I had it better than them, and there's a lot of jealousy that goes around. Everywhere I ever went. And I was always uh, gracious and always giving and courteous. And uh, I'm not going to say I tried to be a gentleman. I was a gentleman. You see what I mean? You see the difference? Yeah. You know, there's a convict, and then there's an inmate. I was never an inmate. I was always a convict. And that's, that's the difference. What's you the know? difference between an inmate and a convict? Well, it made you comply to everything, to all the rules and regulations. I was breaking every rule and regulation. Every, I've been to the box. Uh, in, every, in every prison that I visited, I visited the box, too, meaning I'm a convict. You know, I, get, I go to box. I, I haven't returned. You know, uh, solitary confinement <laughs> because I'm, I don't comply with the rules and regulations. That's a convict. We have our own rules and regulations. Now, who said, who, who who said that up? Who's in charge of that? Oh, well, I'm not going to speak on that. No, you know, I don't mean any, the real name. I mean, that. you know, to me, that's an artificial structure. I mean, at well, least... You know, there's, listen, there's a group of guys in there that they have a, they have a lot of time, and uh, they've been in there a long time, and they made it their home and house, and you have to respect it because they run their shot calls. Yeah. And uh, as I said, uh, they can pop your head off wherever you are. It doesn't matter. They run all the games. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. They run all the yes, games. It's not, yeah. it's not the the Lion Kings, the Blood Vignettas, the Dominican. No, it's no, no, no. It's it's one. It's like it's a group of people, and they run all that. You know, and that's it. You know, these are shot callers, man. You know, so. But uh, as I said, these are people that are chosen, and 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 for you to get this, it means you have to have a, a lot of love and loyalty. You know. So, you know, it's interesting, either. if I can be so vain as to talk about myself for a moment. I had a letter from a Secret Service agent, a letter of recommendation for me. From who? From who? From a Secret Service agent. Oh, uh, my God. Okay. It's a letter of introduction, a letter of reference, saying about me that, <laughs> that people trust me, that criminals right. trust me. They will tell right. me everything, and I'll tell them what not to tell me. If you kill somebody, don't tell me. But they'll tell me right. things they won't tell their lawyer, they won't tell anybody. But they know they can trust me. And uh, it's a whole different area that uh, once they know that you're okay in some sort of weird way, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, you can introduce me to you can introduce me to a, a another criminal, and I'm not a criminal. I'm a true crime author, and yet we'll we'll connect. We'll be okay. Yes, and you know what? I agree, and that's why we have such a great relationship because we can speak and you can understand certain things that other authors or other journalists would not be able to understand. You can relate to things. Yeah, there's a certain street. You know a lot. You know you know a little too much. <laughs> you, you, you've been around the block. Oh, well, I've only been around the block. I took the road Former signs criminal. with me. <laughs> today, today, as, listen, today, what am I today? Today, I'm an artist and a civilian, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not a gang member. I'm not part of any organization. I I don't I don't I don't do crime. That's not what I do. Today, I make and create. I I'm on the radio sometimes, right? 
and uh, I write and paint and draw. So I changed my life around. Being that I changed my life around at 47 years, I realized all the faults that I've done in my life. And I uh, feel embarrassed that I lived a life, you know, but this wasn't the life that I chose to live. And I thank God that I have an author such as yourself that could understand the relationship that I had with my beloved father, right? And how much I wanted to appease him and uh, what lengths I went to, uh, you know, to, 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 be his, to be somebody that he can respect. I love, there is a story, and we don't have time to tell the whole thing, but you've told it before, when you wanted to see a look in your father's eyes, a look that you saw when you were a kid when he talked with the other guys that worked for him about I these different heights, and it. you I finally saw that look. Yes. Yes. Delivered him a bucket, like a, a, a bucket full of a, uh, watches. Yeah, it was a heist on 14th Street. Remember this? It was one of those $100 million heists. I gave him a whole bucket, one of those uh, garbage, uh, the small garbage bins, yeah. filled with diamond rings. I mean, big diamond rings, you know, like carrot, you know, like cocktail rings. But the middle stones are huge, and the price tags are like 20000 30000 40000 50000 And my father, he, I seen his eyes light up. And that was the look I always wanted to see. And I said, get yeah, and that was his last heist. That was the last time that he was allowed to even be near the damn heist. Do you see? Because he still wanted to work. He still wanted to be around, even in his 70s. You know, he was your age, you know, and he was still doing heists. So there you go. Yeah, you know, amazing. He now he's retired, and he, he uh, very politely offered to have me go fishing with him. <laughs> Absolutely. You are definitely invited to uh, Novi Sad in Serbia and whoever else would love to come to meet a real G. You know, I mean, there's a couple of guys from New York that, that were in prison with me, uh, such as Kabubi, Casper, uh, he met my dad, and uh, a couple other guys, Money Mike, uh, he knows my, you know, like a lot of dudes know the stories around my dad. A lot of people met my dad, you know, and, uh, and I also lost a couple of guys too, but, you know, that's what happens. Uh, as I said, you know, you know, I lost some of the best guys with the best stories. I lost these guys. They just died. You know, oh. drug overdose or whatever it is, bad heart. And uh, we lost so many. And, and as I said, like, I don't think that we're chosen to live long lives because we live in abundance in such a short time. And that's why I feel like if I live long, I'm, I'm cheating death or something, you know? And I, yeah, I don't... I'm not really time. scared. Hey, I've, I I've got... Oh, you'll feel really good just before you go. I mean, I, I, I've almost been dead several times this uh, past year. I mean, I got to figure they stopped my heart. They put me on those heart-lung machines. You know, they do a little fancy... Uh, well, you had an opportunity, thank God, for that. <laughs> and you know? so here I am, still, you know, not playing yeah. the hits, but still doing radio after all these years. And I'm still here. It's a miracle yeah, of I modern think, science. I think when it's your time, it's your time. That's it. It doesn't matter who wants to kill you or what. Or I think if it's your time to go... It's your time to go. But right? if it's not, nothing's going to stop it. <laughs> no, nothing can stop it. That's all. And, and meanwhile, that you know that we're here, let's have a, let's have the best time ever. Like let's have a better time than yesterday. Let's let's just have a fantastic time. Well, right? You know, people Giving will have people a fantastic what they time want today. To That's all. People Giving will have people a fantastic time today want. listening to Magic Matt Allen. <laughs> oh yeah. On Outlet Radio with the Demons of Decadence, because he's pretty decadent, you know, for. He is. He, he has that voice. <laughs> He's I'm gotten better. You. He's not I as decadent as he used to be. <laughs> I know talent. He's, he's healthier than he used to be. Isn't that right, Matt? 
Yeah, if you were healthier than you were before? That would be awesome. Yeah. Well, he's cut back on the booze and the morphine, so... <laughs> How the hell do you know? <laughs> I keep track. <laughs> I, I have informants of the booze and morphine industry. You know, <laughs> you know the vibes. Thanks a lot, Plus. Right. Great as always. You uh, got it, man. Always. It's always a pleasure to be, uh, you know, an honorary member, you know, of your group. And anytime, I'm always here for you. Thank you so much. All right, buddy. Remember, All right. Talk right. to you later. Get the Vanity Fair. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll buy two issues. Hey, Pearl, what's next? Magic Man Adam on the Demon's Objective is live in the Light of Lounge on AdamRadioLive.com. Oh, wow. Huh.